You're listening to ReachMD XM157, and this month's special series, Focus on Children's Health. What are the data that show this is helpful in preventing heart attacks? Asked Dr. Darshak Sanghavi, a pediatric cardiologist at the University of Massachusetts Medical School. New York Times, July 8, 2008. You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to this special segment on children's health. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, your host, and with me today is Dr. Sarah DeFerranti. Dr. DeFerranti is a pediatric cardiologist and director of the Preventive Cardiology Clinic at the Children's Hospital Medical Center in Boston, Massachusetts. She is an instructor in pediatrics at the Harvard Medical School. Today we are discussing new lipid screening and cardiovascular health in childhood guidelines from the American Academy of Pediatrics. Hi, Dr. DeFerranti. Thanks for joining us today at the Clinician's Roundtable. All right. Thanks for having me. According to the New York Times article, quote, this aggressive new recommendation for warding off heart disease in some children has stirred a furious debate among pediatricians. What's the buzz? I mean, tell me what's happening. Why is this so controversial? Well, I think a lot of people have heard the headlines in the news and are really concerned about starting a medicine. Really what the American Academy of Pediatrics is recommending is the use of cholesterol-lowering medication in some children who are at particularly high risk for cardiovascular disease because of their high cholesterol. They also have some other recommendations in their paper, some about dietary changes, such as allowing pediatricians to recommend using low-fat dairy as young as one year of age. And then they focus, as we always do, on uh, lifestyle and dietary education as the primary focus for treatment of cholesterol disorders in kids. I have a question, and that is, again, to my knowledge, and I've been practicing pediatrics for a long time, although the original recommendation was not to restrict fat in children under the age of two years of age, nobody ever recommended a high-fat diet. And I always told patients and parents that look at the total fat in the diet. If your kid is eating a ton of cheese and macaroni and cheese and pizza like most of them do then give them 2% or 1% milk so that the total fat still ends up roughly 30%. Isn't that correct that you're not supposed to give high-fat diets to kids? Well, I think we all would take that common-sense approach of not recommending a high-fat diet, but some people were concerned about using low-fat dairy products in general and would recommend whole milk until the age of two. And I'm certain that when I was in my training, we weren't talking about low-fat milk for young kids. But it looks like from data from a Scandinavian study that even starting kids as young as seven months on a low saturated fat diet is actually pretty safe. They have data following out kids to age of 12 and the neurodevelopmental outcomes are good. So your approach was a sensible one. If you've got a total fat, uh, that's a reasonable amount. And if you're emphasizing good fats like monounsaturated fats and staying away from saturated fats, then that's the right approach. And that's what we try to do in our clinic. I was telling my partner yesterday that I was speaking to you about the new guidelines, and he said something that I was going to ask you about, and that is, I'm a little older than you are, and years ago, someone made a comment, the only good that came out of the Vietnam War was that we found out that 18 and 19-year-olds had some fairly advanced heart disease. So again, I'm asking you, why is this a controversy? You know, young people have severely advanced cardiovascular heart disease. Isn't it time that we really stopped pussyfooting around with kids and took some definitive action? 
Well, I think that data, you're right, has been out there for a long time, and that's the autopsy data of Vietnam War vets, North Korean War vets. There's been a lot of information about early atherosclerotic disease beginning in childhood, but people are afraid of medications and afraid of starting them early, and that's because we don't have long-term safety data following kids for 30 years or 40 years on statins, and that's what people are worried about. I think we have to balance those concerns about long-term data not being available against the risk of heart disease, which we know is there. I mean, we all know of people who had heart attacks in their 20s and 30s, and, you know, it comes home in a personal way. Sometimes you think about Tim Russert or other people who didn't have obvious heart disease risks that were extreme and yet had a heart attack. You mentioned that there are some changes in the guidelines in terms of dietary modification. What else is new in the guidelines? The main focus of the media has been this lowering of age The most recent set of guidelines prior to this came out in 1998, and that was really a restating of the 1992 guidelines that said that you could consider medications in kids who were as young as 10, but we really preferred to use them in post-pubertal kids. And the reason for that is that the HMG-CoA reductase inhibitors, the statins, seem to affect the same pathway as the sex steroid hormones. So there's a theoretical concern about affecting puberty. But the guidelines that we have now say don't use a bile acid binding resin because most kids won't take them and so you've got compliance issues and you're just not treating anything. Go ahead and use a statin and you can use them as young as age 8 in selected patients. And I think if you talk to people who have been treating children with familial hypercholesterolemia with really elevated LDL levels, we're talking 200, 190, or even 160 if there's early heart disease in the family, If you've done all you can with diet and exercise, you should go ahead and use a statin. I'd like to welcome those who are just joining us for this special segment on children's health on ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and with me today is Dr. Sarah DeFerranti, Director of Preventive Cardiology at the Children's Hospital in Boston, Massachusetts. We're discussing the new American Academy of Pediatrics guidelines for lipid screening and cardiovascular health in childhood. An LDL of 190 is the level that they're talking about beginning treatment now in 8-year-olds. Is that correct? Yeah. Those would be kids who did not have other cardiovascular risk factors but had an LDL of 190 despite optimal diet and lifestyle changes. I have to say that if I saw a child who was age 8 and I thought their diet and lifestyle was perfect, I still might give them another try with our nutritionist that we have because I feel like that is pretty early to start somebody. But if they came in saying that their diet was really optimal and we checked that out and then we talked to them and somebody in the family, say their dad, had a heart attack at age 32, then I think, you know, you have to think very carefully about starting medicine in a kid that young. Most of the kids that we're starting that young are really much more extreme values like um, LDL of 250 or even 300. So severely affected children who we know have early heart disease risk. Now, they chose an LDL of 130 in a child with diabetes. Is that something you concur with? I would concur with that. I'm actually very aggressive with children with diabetes, either type 1 or type 2. The only few kids that we've had that have actually had myocardial infarctions have been those with diabetes, type 1, as well as unfortunate luck in having familial hypercholesterolemia. You know, we have a child who had heart attack at age 12, so complete left main occlusion. So I'm really aggressive with those kids. I might even push for an LDL of 100. Say that again for our audience, a left main occlusion in a child how old? Age 12. Yeah, he was very unusual. I think there may be some other factor going on that we just haven't identified, but he had type 1 diabetes and he had FH, familial hypercholesterolemia. 
that's certainly the youngest I've ever heard of, other than an anomalous left coronary artery. They also chose a number of an LDL of 160 with family history of early heart disease or greater than or equal to two additional risk factors. I assume that would be obesity, hypertension, anything else in those risk factors, and do you go along with the 160 level? I do go along with the 160 level, and I would include smoking. Hopefully, we don't have too many of those kids, but we do have some. Or Kawasaki disease with aneurysms, history of childhood cancer treatment, other rheumatologic diseases like lupus. There's some factors that seem to really increase your risk for heart disease over and above the LDL, and so those are kids that I'm concerned about. And I do go along with that, and we have a lot of kids that fall into that range. Could you tell us what's changed in their terms of the American Academy of Pediatrics recommendations for cholesterol screening, and what are your own personal recommendations? I think actually this has been the most valuable part of the new guidelines, is really clarifying screening. The previous set of guidelines had a very complicated algorithm that involved getting a a non-fasting total cholesterol, and if that was borderline, then having the child come back and repeat that. And if that was still concerning, then coming back for a fasting lipid profile. And you can imagine that we were losing a substantial proportion. Some studies showed maybe 30 or 40% of kids just wouldn't come back to get the final testing and get the results that you need. So they just say, go ahead and get a fasting lipid profile in anybody who has any of these risk factors. And the risk factors would be a family history of heart disease that's early or other early atherosclerotic disease. So in men under the age of 55 or women under the age of 65. And then personal risk factors like obesity, hypertension, diabetes, insulin resistance. So those would be the guidelines. And just get a fasting lipid profile. Don't mess around with a non-fasting test. You did a study and published an article on the use of a non-fasting cholesterol. Does that have some value? I think if you're seeing a teenager who comes in in the afternoon and they've already eaten and you think you're not going to get them back at all for that fasting test, then you can get a direct LDL measurement and an HDL, and that gives you some idea. I don't think it's very helpful in the obese child because you don't catch the triglyceride level and you can't get a fasting glucose, so you're missing some other things. But if you really think this is your only opportunity, then there's some value to it. As a personal note, having practiced pediatrics for a number of years, I have found that if you do a random lipid profile... And if the triglyceride and the VLDL are normal, that there's very little difference in the LDL cholesterol level if you bring them back fasting. Is that something you found, or am I just lucky? No, I think that's true. I tend to see a lot more kids who are obese or have triglyceride abnormalities, and so then I really need that fasting profile. But if you have a pretty good-looking non-fasting profile, then I think you can feel quite reassured. Now, I have another question because I love to look at things a little differently. The guideline states, and I'm quoting, 30 to 60% of children and adolescents with high cholesterol levels will be missed by the targeted strategy for screening. To me, that's the proverbial catch-22. How can you find an individual who themselves have a high total cholesterol and LDL or other significant cardiovascular disease risk factor if you don't test everyone? I mean, you have 30 to 60% are going to be missed by targeted screening. Aren't they nuts for not screening everyone? It may be that that section could be referring to the old practice of not screening kids who had unknown family history. That's a real area that we miss. Let's say you have a family come in and either the parents are separated or divorced or one family doesn't talk about family history of medical issues very much. Then you might have a whole side of the family where the family history is absent and you're, you're missing all those risk factors. I mean, it's a cheap test. 
Yeah, it is a relatively cheap test, and the intervention is, you know, common sense and should be implemented. I'd like to thank Dr. Sarah DeFerranti for being my guest, and we've been discussing the American Academy of Pediatrics guidelines for lipid screening and cardiovascular health in childhood. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and you've been listening to a special program on children's health on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. To listen to our to listen to our on-demand library, visit us at ReachMD.com. Register with promo code radio and receive six months of free streaming audio for your home or office. If you have comments or suggestions, call us at 888-MD-XM-157. Thanks for listening. Until next time, I wish you good day and good health and enjoy a glass of red wine if you're over 21. It's good for your heart. Listen all month as ReachMDXM157 presents a special series focused on children's health. To download podcasts of this series, visit us at ReachMD.com.